Today on Grub Stakers, we're going to be talking about Malaysian billionaire Joe Lowe, who showed us how to succeed in business mostly by lying. So settle in, because it's Grub Stakers time. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Five, four, three, two. Hello, and welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm joined by Steve Jeffries, Andy Palmer, and our good friend Yogi Pollywall is uh, out this week. He is back in Seattle enjoying Thanksgiving weekend with his family, who have the uh, capital in order to love him <laughs> enough to uh, spend vacations with their son. Um, but uh, uh, we're very excited this week because uh, very excited. We're we're here mm-hmm. in the South Brooklyn Grubstaker Studio, uh, here in the 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 sequel to Cat Person, where we have <laughs> an open litter box with shit in it as we're recording. Uh, another one in the bathroom. Uh, at least three cats, this two is, of which are visible. This is Grubstaker's B Rent Control Edition. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, we're in the uh, the Steve and Andy studio uh, because uh, Yogi is gone, and uh, we're, we're very excited to do a, a special episode because we are thankful on this Thanksgiving weekend for you, the listener, and we are thankful for a man named Joe Lowe. Oh, I am so fucking thankful for this guy. He <laughs> like we started this podcast uh, asking the question: Is there such thing as a good billionaire? Mm-hmm. And so far, the answer has been no. But is there such thing as a perfect billionaire? <laughs> yes, it's Joe Lowe. This guy is so late stage. It's just so great. <laughs> he's like a harbinger. Yeah, he's of the proto-fascist, fascist, socialist uh, future to come. He's just the embodiment of everything that money becomes. Um, it, 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 well, you'll find out. Right. Well, so we're, we're, we read the book uh, Billion Dollar Whale by Tom Wright and Bradley Hope. They're Wall Street Journal reporters. And it's about this Malaysian financier, Joe Lowe. And uh, the long and short of the story is that he stole about... Such a fancy title for this guy. <laughs> the long and short of the story is he stole about $5 billion U.S. dollars uh, from uh, uh, Malaysia's sovereign wealth fund that he uh, convinced the government to set up and then ran it through a series of uh, uh, sw- of shell companies and uh, these sorts of things and also got you know Goldman Sachs and all sorts of other financiers involved in just signing off on this outright theft. So you can make the argument that he was actually just making a statement about <laughs> capitalism. Well, <laughs> he was a performance it, artist. It was all so that he could hang out, he could pay Paris Hilton to hang yes. out with him. I, like, when my reading of this was it was a transgressive... <laughs> like a, like a play. Yeah. It was a play about yeah. capitalism. Right. Yes. I would say like the best way to describe uh, the scheme would be it was a um, a scheme in order to take money from Malaysian taxpayers and transfer it 
into presents for Paris Hilton's 29th birthday party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he ever gets caught, it'll be like, it was just a prank, bro. <laughs> yeah. He also... A social used, experiment. I mean, in the middle of it, he was funding uh, The Wolf of Wall Street yes. and potentially The Great Gatsby, which are the two movies of the last decade that describe this guy perfectly. I uh-huh. do like... Yes, he put up like... A hundred million of Malaysian public money to make the Wolf of Wall Street, and at no point did he hire an editor to cut thirty minutes off that fucking movie. I liked when they were crawling around on drugs. Well, that was fine. It was just too long. Yeah, it was okay though. You know what? It was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> the The upcoming uh, sovereign debt crisis for the state of Malaysia was worth um uh they they had a i mean if there's if there's a domino effect from malaysia uh because of this crisis caused by a pudgy boy who wanted to be (laughs) friends with paris hilton that's the future we deserve uh one interesting thing from the book is that scorsese uh and wolf of wall street they crash a real lamborghini in the opening (laughs) and so like usually the money people would be like no you have to do a model or something but uh, I guess you, you should probably ask some questions when they're like, yeah, no, <laughs> take this school teacher money and uh, go ahead and crash a fucking Lamborghini if it'll make the shot right. Um, but so, uh, so just like before we kind of like go loosely chronological through Joe Lowe's life, um, interesting thing about this, we mentioned it's estimated he stole about five billion U.S. dollars, King. Uh, and a part of that went to just paying off bribes to co-conspirators. A lot of it went to partying. Uh, apparently, he left a one million dollar tip at a, a poker or some sort of gambling. Baccarat. Yeah, the, Baccarat. The, yes, the he James plays Baccarat. Bond game that basically you lose most of the time. It's he basically funneled money into the casino and then tipped him a million dollars. There's other parts of that story we can get to later. Right. Uh and uh, he was enabled by the uh former prime minister of Malaysia, Nijab, who's currently uh being indicted or <laughs> charged criminally. Razik Najib? Yes. Yep. Uh Najib. Um and so yeah, uh, uh, Joe Lowe also bought a twenty-seven million dollar diamond necklace for the prime minister's wife, the former prime minister, <laughs> and like this is in addition to millions and millions of others of uh, jewelry um, and other fancy kinds of things. Um, and, and just like one uh, stat from the book that was uh, meant to illustrate this, um, quote, 60% of Malaysian households live on less than 1600 US dollars a month. So, you know. And uh, uh, one other thing about like how this is going to be an albatross, uh, again, quoting from the book, uh, Moody's estimated the government of Malaysia would be on the hook to repay about $7.5 billion of the uh, fund's debt, which is equal to about 2.5% of, the Malaysia, uh, of Malaysia's economy. Um, and about half of the fund's debt was denominated in U.S. dollars, <clears throat> which is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just yeah, bad news. Yeah, they can't print foreign, their way out of that yeah, one. Foreign, foreign debt crisis mm-hmm. in, left in his wake. Maybe we should say what it, 1MDB is before we start. Right. Yeah, so, so I, it's, I, uh, it's, I looked into this. Uh, uh, I read it as... Uh, so the 1MDB 
scandal. I went to uh, 1mdb.com and looked up scandal mm. and says a former White House communications Did they copy director the from Purdue Pharma starts her <laughs> We're own... working hard to address the 1mdb <laughs> scandal. Sorry, uh, I used the Roman numeral one. So imdb.com <laughs> this page for scandal. It says a former White House communications director starts her own crisis management firm only to realize her clients are not the only ones with secrets. It gets 7.8 out of 10. Uh, and it, it was a TV series from 2012 to 2018. Yeah. Well, even more let's, let's, even more basic than that, though. Let's tweet at the IMDb um, Twitter account and be like, it's fucked up what you did to the Malaysian people. Well, it's... It, you monsters. Uh, number one, it stands for One Malaysia Development Berhad. Mm-hmm. And this is a sovereign wealth fund of Malaysia set up by the former prime minister, uh, Najib Razak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the the idea of a sovereign wealth fund is like, you know, Norway has one. Uh, um, and we'll get to Joe Lowe gets this idea from the United Arab Joe Emirates Lowe. has a, a sovereign wealth fund as well. And this is the idea that, you know, uh, they can say borrow against uh, oil wealth or other wealth in order to fund investments that theoretically create wealth for the state, wealth for the public. Um, but it's also just a great way to get a giant uh, pool of money and then uh, <laughs> divert through a series of shell companies. Um, and uh, and again, like he very much relied on the U.S., the international financial system to make all this happen. And he relied on people being like, no, we need our fucking 2 or 10% commission on this huge pool of money, so we're not going to ask too many questions. But um, I-, I guess from there we can just kind of go through uh, Joe Lowe and how he came to be. Because he was born relatively rich, but the only way this scheme works is if you have the connections to the rich people in power. Like, there's there's no way unless you go to a private boarding school you'd be able to pull this off, but it's it's pretty fascinating what he did. And so basically... Inspiring um, is the word you're looking for. Uh, so his grandfather um, sold... <laughs> He sold opium in China until mm-hmm. the British were like, you can't do that because that's our thing. And he basically got chased out of uh, China and moved to Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the basically the family was on pretty strong uh, economic footing, starting with his grandpa's opium trade. Mm-hmm. And they were really relaxed, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so his grandfather... like. The book says it's like alleged that he made his fortune in either opium or mining or something like that. Nobody really knows for sure. But uh, his grandfather makes uh, a, a decent chunk of change. And then his father, uh, uh, Lowe's father, is Larry Lowe. He's born in Thailand in 1952. Um, he goes uh, to the London School of Economics and University of California, Los Angeles. Um, he makes like some stupid investments with his grandfather's wealth. But eventually in the early 90s, he uh, invests in garment companies, which have like a huge resurgence as, you know, the U.S. and other uh, countries outsource all of their garment manufacturing to countries like Malaysia. And then he's basically able to um, get in on a corrupt deal. Uh, I, I just want to quote from the book here because he has a, uh, a stake in a garment company. And then in the 90s, he's involved in an acquisition uh, uh of a Canadian technology firm. Um, and then quoting from the book, the deal overvalued the target firm and Larry arranged for some of the excess cash to go into a, an offshore bank account. He controlled using such accounts often owned by anonymous shell companies set up in places like the British Virgin islands. Uh, 
which was co- was common for Malaysian companies at the time. And basically, the book says that the kids learned from their father how shell companies work <laughs> and how to sh- set up shell companies. And uh, this would become very relevant later in life. There's a, just a phone call when this all comes out in FT in the Wall Street Journal, and his dad is like, "Where did you, where did you get this idea to use shell companies to hide money? I learned it from you, Dad." <laughs> But so uh, the book says Larry Lowe, uh, this this stake in a garment company which he sells is worth about 15 million U.S. dollars. So Joe Lowe grows up in a family worth somewhere in the neighborhood of you it know, is, tens it of is millions of dollars. funny, too, that they all have, like, despite being Malaysian, they all have uh, the first names of, like, Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters. <laughs> it's like Joe and Larry. Um but yes, so uh, what Joe Lowe does, or what Larry Lowe does, is uh, he sets up to like network for his children. And so he makes this investment where uh, he buys an apartment in London uh, where they vacation with in an area of London that a lot of Malaysia's elites live in. So it's essentially through this, it's a, a Kensington Green, and through this kind of like apartment vacation home, uh, Jolo, the son, Jolo. meets uh, Re- Reza Aziz, who is the daughter or the son of the future Malaysian first lady. And this is going to be his connection to the prime minister of Malaysia. So it's, again, just essentially through this elite connection that he is able to uh, pull off the uh, inspirational uh, uh, statement on capitalism of the century. But basically, in his early life, Joe Lowe is a, a shit poster on the internet. Uh, he uh, goes in 1998. He's 16 years old. He goes to Harrow, which is a. Pro- oh wait, let's 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 take a second to talk about his internet posts. Like he would post that he was like a handsome, muscly guy, and then yeah, would well ask, muscled. huh? Well proportioned. Yeah, well proportioned, and then he would ask if anyone needs him for a modeling shoot. Uh, he's if you haven't seen a picture of him, he's just this pudgy like roly poly guy mm-hmm. who later in life accepted it and went by the nickname Panda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, he like tried to I don't know how the people who wrote this book found that he did this, but yeah, he tried to see if anyone would like take him up on the modeling thing. And even though he typed all that out, like no one, I mean, I, he didn't have a picture, obviously. Um, but yeah, so then he went to this private school. Uh, now he has one MDB credits. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so jokes on them <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry sean so he goes to this private school he uh, was like talking to somebody on the internet and like lied about his age and they're like never mind i'm not interested anymore <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were actually 16 <laughs> uh but yeah so he uh he goes uh to ha- uh, harrow is a private english boarding school which is a step below eton where of course david cameron and the other english elites would would go well harrow uh, is where uh winston churchill Oh. went um and i think some other the book mentioned some other elite but i don't remember their name um corbin <laughs> yeah <laughs> he went to he went to some other elite place though oh really yeah corbin oh. did well I, I i assume uh joe Lowe took some classes where they're like and this is how you starve the uh uppity colonies <laughs> and submission say. Yes, Churchill's education was a disaster for the people of Bengal. <laughs> <laughs> and while he was at this private school, um, he he just told people that he was a Malaysian prince. Mm-hmm. 
And like apparently the other Malaysian students at the school thought it was hilarious, but the like the aristocratic like British kids who were there just ate it up mm-hmm. and b- completely <laughs> believed him. Like he he just lies about his status like in every aspect of his life to the point where it's just adorable. But he did have a lot of muscles. He just lost them all. <laughs> I'm just imagining him as like a swole, steroided it out, 16-year-old on the internet. <laughs> he just like, he was so sad when he left home, he let himself go and became a very round gentleman. He's still got the puffy baby face and glasses, but it's just ripped. They go to arrest him and he just rips off his shirt. <laughs> Nothing but muscles. 12-pack <laughs> <Twelve> abs. <laughs> You can just break the handcuffs by flexing his wrists. He was the one who allegedly murdered that prosecutor looking into <laughs> one MDB <laughs> with his bare hands. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he goes to a private uh, uh, English boarding school. He meets uh, the son of the Sultan of Brunei, one of the sons. And he just kind of falls in with like this crowd of elites, as we mentioned. And then he goes to uh, University of Pennsylvania College, UPenn College, uh, the Wharton School of Business, uh, which, of course, uh, Donald Trump is an alumni of. Uh, uh, Ivanka Trump was there at the same time as him. And apparently, like, he would throw a lot of parties at Wharton. Like, he uh, would uh, have, like, big parties at clubs or strip clubs or stuff. And uh, oh, they would also go to Atlanta at the Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino uh, and gamble there. And apparently once he uh, wrote Ivanka Trunk, uh, Ivanka Trump to invite her, but she said she would never set foot in one of her father's, quote, skeevy casinos. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, Well, it looks like she walks into the White House now. Got him. Uh, yeah, at the time when he was, like, throwing those giant parties... Uh, he apparently like he would get he would hand out flyers for his parties he would rent a whole club he would convince sororities to mm-hmm. go then he would list the sororities going to the parties along with his own name so it'd be like you know phi kappa gamma uh alpha delta delta joe low <laughs> <laughs> and his own category yeah and he he would just instead of really part- participating in the party like he he had a lot of trouble talking to women like he wasn't there to get laid like he wasn't hitting on anyone he would make awkward small talk with women at the parties but uh mostly he would just watch the party and he got the nickname uh from his classmates as the asian great gatsby mm. which i think the asian part is more of a philadelphia thing you're like oh, we gotta put race on everything <laughs> but like the great gatsby thing is very apt but apparently like he would maintain this party demeanor while at the same time in his private life, he would hang out with some friends in his dorm and he would just sit around in a tracksuit and obsess over Paris Hilton. He went to house of wax multiple times in theaters, uh, and had like posters of her around. Um, really not the, uh, first Paris Hilton movie I would see, <laughs> but yes, no, he was very like, probably op- not the first one he saw. <laughs> her second best acting performance. <laughs> Uh, but yes, no, and also, yeah, like Andy was mentioning, he was uh, a very quiet person who, like, wasn't really conversational with women for the most part. So he's simultaneously very shy. Yes. But was also loaded and seemed to recognize the importance of... Right. Well, of, we uh, mentioned his dad had at least, you know, uh, 
more than $15 million. So uh, according to the book, while at Wharton, uh, Jolo would receive regular wire transfers of tens of thousands of dollars from Larry Lowe <laughs> to finance gambling trips to Atlantic City and to pay for partying. <laughs> and uh, yes, he really did throw some uh, dope parties in uh, Wharton, and, uh, but it was just a taste of what was to come. And uh, also, he then wouldn't pay them back and negotiate a much lower repayment to the clubs. The the friendship with Ivanka Trump taught him about that. Uh, so also while he was at Wharton, I'm, I'm again just quoting from the book here, he wrote articles on stocks for the Wharton Journal, which was the business school's uh, student newspaper. Uh, and then uh, several of them were completely plagiarized <laughs> word for word. Yeah, like, one of them was like, Enron's a great up-and-coming tech <laughs> <laughs> investment <laughs> company. Dude, it's all part of the performance statement <laughs> where he was mocking the capitalist <laughs> analysts who predicted that Enron was a great investment <laughs> by copying their words yeah, and passing two, them off. 2000, 2007 edition was like two words. Bear Stearns. <laughs> Bear Stearns is going to make all the bears real stern. (laughs) Uh, That was a nerd-ass joke. Uh, but so, yes, he uh, he wrote a piece on Enron, which was copy-pasted from another analyst who urged people to buy Enron <laughs> stock. Uh, and then he wrote uh, many other st- uh, such pieces, according to the book, copying most of them from analyst reports on Wall Street. Oh, yeah, he, he uh, copied the Enron thing from a Solomon Smith Barney report. <laughs> nice. Uh, but so basically, uh, when, when he's at... Um, uh, his final year at Wharton, he sets up a uh, shell company. His first company, it's based in the British Virgin Islands, and it's called the Winton Group, uh, which the name stood for, quote, win tons of money, <laughs> <laughs> he told his friends, uh, who were unsure if it was a joke. Um, but basically, like, the thing is, like, as we've, we've kind of mentioned here, what Wharton, the education... It's not really so much that as it is just the connection with very wealthy, powerful people, the children of the elite. And so the main thing that he does at Wharton that makes him a billionaire (laughs) is he meets uh, somebody who knows, who has a connection with uh, the future ambassador to the United States from the United Arab Emirates, a guy named Otaiba. Um, and Otaiba introduces him to another guy, uh, Khaldun uh, Khalifa al-Mubarak, who would, uh, who was at the time a 20-something running one of the United Arab Emirates sovereign wealth funds. It's uh, this sovereign wealth fund called uh, Mubadala, uh, which is uh, uh, a sovereign wealth fund set up by the United Arab Emirates in 2002. As we kind of mentioned, these sovereign wealth funds can raise money or uh, uh, reinvest oil profits, or just, again, do capital raises based on uh, assets such as oil or other things that they have in their uh, their area, and then they reinvest this money in real estate or whatever else you want to invest in to try and make some profit. But he, uh, Jolo, meets this guy, the head of the um, 
UAE uh, uh, sovereign, uh, one of the UAE sovereign wealth funds. And Joe Lowe kind of like bullshits his way into this meeting just through his connections at Warden. But he's talking like he's kind of like a big shot who has connections to Malaysia development. So he's talking to these people in the UAE about, hey, come invest in Malaysia. You know, I, I have all the connections over there, blah, blah, blah. And at it's first, like nothing coming next tiger economy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and at first, nothing really comes of it. But it's just like, it's, again, a scheme that you could never pull off if you just didn't have these elite connections. So, essentially, he gets his foot in the door with, you know, the people who can move huge amounts of money out of the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> and uh, they think he's, like, some sort of uh, a very important uh, businessman intermediary. I in saw the- your Inderon recommendation. Very, very <laughs> contrarian. Um but uh, yes, so that's uh, uh, he graduates Warden, uh, Wharton, and then he goes back to Malaysia. And um, it's interesting where it's like in 2005, he, uh, that's the end of his uh, education there. He gets a degree in finance um, and uh, he goes back to Malaysia and <laughs> he bullshits his way into this like the most expensive office building in Malaysia. Yeah, it's the, they're like, Essentially, their World Trade Center, and it was ta- it, the building's taller than the old World Trade Center. Is this? Uh, you've probably seen pictures of it. I don't remember the name Petronas of it. Towers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the Petronas yeah. Towers. He sets up offices in the Petronas Towers, fresh out of college. The tallest buildings in the world at the <laughs> at the time. Uh, the, <laughs> the yeah, the UAE is like we'll fix that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we've got more slaves than they do. But uh, yeah, so it's like he just gets a loan. He bullshits his way into a loan for this, and then he gets kicked out after not paying rent <laughs> for several months. And it's just like essentially, it's interesting where he's he's always scheming, but the scheme evolves pretty quickly because his first idea is like he's going to set up offices and make connections with the Malaysian government, and then get his uh, UAE connections to come in and invest, and then he'll take like a finder's fee or a broker's fee or something off of this. What was hung up in his office? Is it pictures of himself? (laughs) (laughs) I guess like Paris Hilton. You know, like shaking hands with people at a Wharton party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, for like to like project an image. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) When you go in there, you're not like dealing with a company even. You're just dealing with Joe Lowe. Yeah, yeah. All his Enron articles were hung up. Yeah, I like, <laughs> was published in the <laughs> prestigious Wharton Journal. But right, so he's like looking around for like high-rise condo projects and these kinds of things. Uh, but again, as we mentioned, he gets this office on loan. It's apparently like one of the most expensive office setups in Malaysia. Like he has like indoor waiting pool or something. Or I think it's like a pool for your feet. Just a bunch here's a, here's of... It's a lazy river. Yeah. And I mean, it's like... <laughs> You know, you can argue he he does to an extent understand how much of like image and presentation matters to these you know elite uh, worthless bloodsuckers who control all the capital <laughs> uh, that would become necessary to his scheme. But he uh, he doesn't pay rent for several months and gets kicked out. Um, and so what happens? Uh, and this is two thousand five. He's kind of like well, he what what's yeah. probably most op- interesting about how he operates is he sets up a kind of a scam mm-hmm. or a scheme or some of which are scams where it's just like, and then he, as soon as that one starts to break down, he's got another one in the works that's going to like save him from the last one. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how he operated until uh, today, which uh, is, which is really yeah. relatable to most millennials. Yeah. 
Well, do you know the final scheme, Andy? Hmm. Wolf of Wall Street 2. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make everything right. <laughs> it's going to win Leo another Oscar. <laughs> and everything will be forgiven. I was going to say, and we'll get to it. see Leo fighting those bears. That was a metaphor for <laughs> how, how Joe Lowe is going to bring market. back the world economy. <laughs> we'll get to his party lifestyle in a minute, but my biggest takeaway from this whale book was uh, the most loyal people in Hollywood are Alicia Keys and Swiss Beats because <laughs> all of his other celebrity friends abandoned him once it came out <laughs> that he was stealing billions of dollars from the Malaysian people. But unlike fucking sissy Leo, who uh, gets his uh, his passion project financed with no creative restrictions, and then just turns his back as soon as it comes out that the guy is a massive fraudster, <laughs> Swiss Beats and Alicia Keys stayed loyal to the guy all the way to the end. Are you, are yeah. you saying that Leonardo DiCaprio is a fake friend? <laughs> I might go that far. Who act nice to your face but talk shit behind your back? <laughs> Uh, Jello just hated fake people. (laughs) (laughs) Leo was uh, method acting all the drugs he took for Wolf of Wall Street and just pretends he doesn't remember who Jello is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so what happens, as we mentioned, uh, 2005, six, he comes back to Malaysia. He gets kicked out of his offices, but he's got another couple schemes going. In 2007, he, uh, again, using his UAE connections, he uh, uh, tries to broker a deal for uh, Kuwait Finance to take over a Malaysian bank. It fails, but this connection's important because Kuwait Finance would later go in on some of his other schemes. But it's late late in 2007, uh, Jolo hears that uh, uh, the existing Malaysian uh, sovereign wealth fund called uh, Kazana is looking for partners in a giant construction project in the southern state of Malaysia, right on the border with Singapore. Um, and they're trying to create like a giant finance lifestyle center. It's according to the whale book again. But basically, Singapore does a lot of <laughs> money laundering <laughs> in addition to other things. But, you know, just general finance, uh, uh, offshore money types of stuff. So the idea is Malaysia's development fund wanted to build kind of a city that would be a major hub right on the border with Singapore. So Jolo gets the tip off that this is coming. And now he's like trying to get his contacts in UAE to go in on this. Um, he suggests that the UAE Sovereign Wealth Fund invest in this uh, project. He su- suggests that Kuwait Finance House invest too. And uh, the uh, UAE Sovereign Wealth Fund does sign a contract to invest half a billion dollars uh, in this project of, you know, five-star hotels, residences, a, quote, golf village. Um, and then uh, uh, Joe Lowe is initially disappointed because he expects a broker's fee or a finder's fee, but nobody will really, like, give him. So he actually comes up with an even more brilliant scheme to get paid on this, which is essentially he buys up two construction companies. Uh, So yes, again, quoting from the whale book, he didn't get his broker's fee. So around this time, uh, he hears about two Malaysian construction companies that were for sale. Uh, Perhaps he could buy them cheaply and win contracts on the development (laughs) to finance the multi-million dollar purchase. He needed more loans. Um, and so he goes around, uh, uh, yeah, so he... Is this one where he, like, creates companies, 
then uh, gives stocks to right. his uh, yes, connections. Yes. This is like this is a, a brilliant move. So basically, he sets up another shell company with a name that's like almost identical to an existing <laughs> UAE development fund, and then he gives uh, stock to the previously mentioned ambassador Otaiba and uh, some other aristocrats in Kuwait and Malaysia. He gives them free stock, and he puts them on the board of this company <laughs> that has an almost identical name to an ad- existing UAE wealth fund. <laughs> and then, uh, so of course, people assume that uh, these people are backing his loan application and <laughs> lent him money. Uh, so yes, he uh, with you know this kind of like fake shell company behind him, uh, he's able to get uh, a Mala- Malaysian banks to lend him tens of millions of dollars, which he uses to buy up these construction companies, uh, which in turn uh, he resells to a corrupt uh, uh, minister, a chief minister of a uh, Malaysian province. Uh, for about $110 million in profit. <laughs> your king. Your move, Taiba. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so he buys up these two construction companies, um, and then uh, he uh, sells them to a holding company controlled by a, a chief minister, Taib, uh, again, a chief minister in a, um, a, a Malaysian state uh, in return for cash and shares. Uh, and then... Basically, he w- he gets about $110 million in profits through this sale. So he's 27 years old, <laughs> and he's just, like, pulled off this window. And it's interesting where it's, like, he 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 sells this to Taib overvalued. So later, when he sets up 1MDB, he has to pay back Taib to, like, keep him happy. As we mentioned, a lot of the money goes to just bribes to keep right. people happy at different... Uh, different parts of the scheme. But this is the first big uh, heist he comes upon, which is, again, $110 million profit at 27 years old. Uh, And he's done this entirely through bullshitting and connections because, of course, he added no value to the project. I mean, he... He's the LinkedIn billionaire. (laughs) He knows how to network. Uh, Just think of what you were doing at age 27. (laughs) It was a uh, my scam was like not paying my electric bill on time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember when I thought at uh, twenty seven that I was a genius for sending in the five dollar rebate coupon <laughs> that came with the pack of beer I just bought. <laughs> well, you know, Jolo is just like uh, he's, he's just like that is why no one will remember your name. <laughs> We're like Jolo, we feel sorry for you, and he's like, I don't think about you. Uh, but yes, Jolo has an open invite to uh, Skype in from whatever Chinese province he is hiding out in <laughs> and be on the podcast at any time. Yeah, please come but, on our podcast, Jolo. But yes, yeah, so uh, uh, he uh, after this, he trades in his E-Series Mercedes for a black-colored Ferrari, uh, taking his uh, car around for joyrides around <laughs> Malaysia. But again, you know, 27 years old, he's just made $110 million, but he's focused on the next thing. And the next heist is like, again, like arguably the biggest financial crime in history. I mean, like, at least in terms of money <laughs> pilfered. Uh, right, in terms of like liquid assets. Right. Yeah. So, uh, as we mentioned, he kind of like overvalues these assets and sells it to a, a powerful minister in Malaysia, powerful and corrupt minister. So he does need money to like pay this guy back and, you know, keep everything cool. So he comes up with, he talks to uh, one of, uh, Malaysia has nine sultans 
and he convinces one of the nine sultans. Who, who, they oversee different areas. One of them o- oversees an area with a particular amount of oil wealth. He convinced Jolo convinces one of these nine sultans to set up a sovereign wealth fund. Again, based on you know what he's seen with the UAE's sovereign wealth fund, and uh, the idea is this sovereign wealth fund will borrow money against the state oil wealth. Uh, and then Goldman Sachs will advise, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, now you can say this guy is just some dumb scammer, but you really, it really comes down to it takes a lot of skill to know which Sultan to go to <laughs> to make money. Jafar. Yeah. <laughs> you got to avoid Jafar because he's, unless you can like play, play to his uh, power ego thing, like he's not going to help you. <laughs> But so uh, the Sultan actually gets cold feet, uh, partly because like uh, uh, Jolo's already skimming his from foot like cooling pool from the <laughs> warming pool went cold <laughs> from like the initial bond issue. Like they start to do the bond issue, and then it becomes clear that Jolo is stealing money from this. Like he's skimming <laughs> off the top. So uh, the sul- uh, the Sultan becomes aware of this, and he backs out. But what happens? <laughs> he in doesn't two- do anything. He's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't, nah. <laughs> Not going to report Seems you, so but resigned. I'm, yeah, <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Look, everybody expects a little bit of scamming, but, <laughs> but yeah. So what happens in 2009 is uh, uh, Nijab, the previously mentioned former Najib, Najib, uh, the previously mentioned former prime minister of Malaysia, becomes the prime minister of Malaysia in 2009, and so what happens is that. Um, Jolo. His first uh, his first order of business is to make it rain. <laughs> We've mentioned uh, Jolo has this connection to uh, uh, the prime minister's stepson through uh, the prime minister's wife. So Jolo's idea, and, and at this point, the prime minister, he doesn't have a relationship with Jolo. But Jolo sees the prime minister is sworn in, you know, 2009. The sultan backed out of the local deal. So Jolo says, why don't we take this one level higher? And his whole insight is... To approach the prime minister and say, hey, I can get, um, you know, UAE and these other people to put in, uh, I think, $1 billion. Yes. Uh, so, Oh, no. He also gets Petro Saudi, which is like one of the 20 minor Saudi Arabian princes, uh, runs this like backwards um, graft company that <laughs> Westerners will do deals with just to get access to, to try and get access to Saudi Arabia. It doesn't really have many assets, doesn't do much of anything. Yeah, it doesn't really like pump oil. It's kind of just a, a bank account for right. the, or a spending account for right. like, you know, the Saudi prince who's never going to make it to king. But essentially, through this connection with Petro Saudi, uh, Jolo is able to like set up a meeting between uh, Nijab and uh, the Saudi Najib. king, Najib, and the Saudi king at the time. Um, and, and so, basically, what uh, he's able to do is Jolo says to the uh, uh, prime minister of Malaysia, "Hey, I'll set up this. I'll set up all this foreign money to come into your development fund, which you can use for X, Y, and Z, and you'll get all the credit for it." And then I run it. <laughs> and that's basically the deal. Uh, and, and the idea was that they were they would take some money mm-hmm. and use it to build houses mm-hmm. in regions or like build housing for the poor in regions that would tend to vote for that prime minister's party. Right. And that was like, but it was going to be like a small amount of the money and the rest was just going to be pure graft. 
Right. So like they they would have profits from one MDB would uh, allow uh, the prime minister Najib to to pay off political supporters and voters. Uh, but also they would, uh, yeah, do what was called, quote, corporate social responsibility, <laughs> which would essentially be like charities, you know, buildings, uh, having scholarships, affordable housing. But they would mm. do it exclusively in areas that they were trying to influence electorally. <laughs> yeah, it's like a long history of this in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not uncommon on the campaign trail for them to literally just say, like, yeah, I'll send you a check, basically, if you vote for me. I mean, it's a good thing we don't do it here where the... Uh, richest neighborhoods with the most political donors have the best enemies. But so it's, so we mentioned, so it's a joint deal with uh, Petro Saudi and Petro Saudi for their part, they pledged some oil rights in Turkmenistan that they had. Uh, These are like highly overvalued uh, uh, intentionally, of course. Um, But so in September 30, 2009, this thing launches and uh, one MDB at this point puts $1 billion. Well, it's supposed to uh, uh, have an initial uh, kickoff of $1 billion, and $300 million of this ends up in a joint Swiss bank account, which is controlled by both Petro Saudi and 1MDB, the board, but $700 million ends up in a personal Swiss bank account, <laughs> which is entirely controlled by Joe Lowe. <laughs> I mean, it's controlled by a shell company that Jolo set up. I believe uh, Goodstar Ltd. Uh, and so Jolo like had his like personal crony say, "Goldstar, uh, Goodstar Ltd. is owned by Petros Audi." So he's able to say like, "This seven hundred million is going to pay back." Uh, Petro Saudi for initial investments or these kinds of things, but in reality, seven hundred million is siphoned off immediately into his personal bank account. And as uh, soon as like someone on the board starts asking questions, he's like, "No, you see, it's to pay back a loan against Petro Saudi." And at the same time, like he's going out to Vegas, hiring Playboy bunnies <laughs> to hang out with him and his friends while they play baccarat with Leonardo DiCaprio, who's just trying to like sweeten uh, him up to get like a, a movie deal. And he's just like throwing just insane amounts of people. People said he would like just throw a quarter million, bet a quarter million dollars per like round of Baccarat um, just for the and usually would lose. Right. Yeah. So his party lifestyle really goes into overdrive here. But yeah, like and we've mentioned like, again, we don't have time to get into all of this. The book is very fascinating. If you like this kind of stuff, I I read right through it in two days. But uh, so basically we mentioned how he played off the pillars of capitalism. So what happens is like we, we, we talked about the, the Turkmenistan oil wealth. So uh, I'm just going to quote from the book here. Uh, one of the Petro Saudi guys, a guy named Patrick Mahoney, uh, currently being investigated on criminal <laughs> charges. He reaches out to his a connection named Edward Morsi, who was a former senior U.S. State Department official and energy analyst at Lehman Brothers. Uh, and he wants them to conduct a, quote, independent valuation of Petro Saudi's assets. Again, this is to like beef up the numbers so that they can borrow more or, you know, uh, justify some of the spending that's going on. Uh, The 1MDB's board had requested this valuation of Petro Saudi's um, uh, assets before 1MDB sent the previously mentioned $1 billion. Uh, 1MDB was, you know, sending that against collateral from Petro Saudi, so they wanted some sort of valuation of this. But so Patrick Mahoney at uh, uh, one. at Petro Saudi reaches out to this former State Department official, Lehman Banker, uh, and he says to uh, this guy, Edward Morsi, 
he basically <laughs> writes him directly and says he tells Morsi that he was seeking evaluation of $2.5 billion on Petro Saudi's assets. <laughs> okay, got it, Morsi replied. Only two days later, Morsi was done with his report, a technical a- analysis of the reserves and prices based on numbers that Petro Saudi had provided. I think you won't be displeased with, e- with our conclusions either on Turkmenistan or Argentina, you know, the oil uh, reserves held in those areas. Mm-hmm. His valuation went up to 3.6 billion dollars. <laughs> he was paid a hundred thousand dollars for his work. <laughs> so again, it's just like you write this guy, your connection at Lehman Brothers, former State Department official. You say, "Hey, I'm looking to get my assets valued at 2.5 billion so that I can get access to this other billion dollars." You say, "I'll pay you six figures to do it," and he goes, "Yeah, sure," and he gives you a 3.6 billion dollar valuation. So again, you just uh, we'll get to the Goldman thing in one second, but you see. Throughout this book, again and again and again, people are reliant on these fees and they just kind of like look the other way or say, or like even like Edward Morsi in the report, he says, I'm only valuing the oil assets themselves. I'm not like (laughs) looking at, you know, they just have all this kind of like cover your ass stuff when it's like, you know exactly what you're doing, dude. Oh, yeah. They end up giving him a little extra. Yeah. For his trouble. (laughs) Uh, but so uh, uh, Malaysia sends out the initial one billion, at least seven hundred million of which is uh, pilfered by uh, uh, Joe Lowe to immediately Joe go Lowe. on his his party spree. Uh, we mentioned like Paris Hilton's twenty ninth birthday. He gets her uh, some expensive car and also two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of gambling chips. And he would pay her $100,000 just to hang out with him each time she hung out with him because he was so obsessed with her. Like, he kind of saw people just as, you know, like, he saw Paris Hilton as, like, his own personal toy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he would just keep giving her money. And then apparently there's, like, this whole... cottage industry for celebrities where they just get appearance fees Mm -hmm. so he would just pay all these celebrities to like come out and do things and they you know they had to kiss his boots beats right uh swiss beats but even like uh like the book starts out with a story about his um this massive birthday party he throws and like vegas in vegas and like britney spears sings him happy birthday and she got a million dollars for that nice and like it's just full of all these celebrities and at the same time celebrities one thing one reason like i'm like oh i'm so glad i don't work in the film industry is like celebrities kind of have to kiss ass to financiers uh on a regular basis and even dasha on uh, red scare talked about like um when the harvey weinstein thing came out she was like yeah you know as an actress the uh worst i've been treated is when i have to like suck up to financiers and they'll just do disgusting or say you're disgusting things and you, there's not much you can do because you need their money. You're misquoting her. She said the word retarded at least three times <laughs> in that sentence. Um, but so, yeah, and so it's interesting where we, we mentioned these big Vegas parties like Leonardo DiCaprio around this time becomes friends with Joe Lowe. Leonardo DiCaprio is another guy who takes like appearance fees, you know? Yeah, he it's, is. He is a slut uh, <laughs> from what I can tell in this book. Just... Really, like, sticking it out there <laughs> for cash. But, yeah, like, around 2007, like, right when he becomes, you know, $700 million, It's So it's interesting, like, what will happen is because he's, like, making it rain at all these clubs where he'll just, like, do, um, you know, champagne bottle... What are they called? Bottle parades or something where they'll just, like, keep bringing out, you know, like... Uh, X $10,000 bottles of Cristal or whatever. Yeah. And um, 
And so through this, he meets like club promoters and club promoters, of course, know celebrities because they pay these celebrities the appearance fees. And through this, he meets, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, Paris Hilton. And he's later able to actually leverage these contacts because, you know, some of his Middle Eastern uh, uh, partners are interested in hanging out in celeb- with celebrities. And so it's like it is sort of profitable for him, but it is all yeah, just it's sort like, of like this two way thing where he's using it to network, but it's also, he's networking to get money to be able to hang out with celebrities. Yeah. It's a business expense. It's a business expense, but it's also like a personal thing. He, it's just like his weird psyche where that's the way he decided he had to do it. Right. But it's also what he wants so badly. Well, e- even with those parties, well, from what I read anyway, mm-hmm. in what in the whale book, uh, it sounds like that's, he still has an insane return on his investment, even with the party. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so like, and I'm sorry, I got the date wrong. It's by late 2009, mm-hmm. because he gets his initial cash infusion in 2007, but it really kicks into gear when he has a $700 million personal account. <laughs> and then in, uh, so 2009 is the initial fundraise, and then 2010, the state of Malaysia commits another $800 million to this. <laughs> so, you know, he's already a billionaire by 2010. Um, and it's interesting where it's like you see a kind of a similar thing happens in the financial crisis, which is uh, and, you know, other uh, frauds, which is a problem with private accounting is, you know, KPMG and the other big four accountants. Um, initially, one MDB has uh, Ernst and Young doing the books. But Ernst and Young won't sign off on their financials, so they just fire them and hire KPMG and say, <laughs> hey, we'll give you this money if you sign off on our books. So, of course, KPMG does. And that's essentially what the problem with private accounting is you can just shop around and eventually you'll find someone who will take your money to say, yeah, sure, these books look fine. you know. And then later they'd have to fire KPMG and get another person to sign <laughs> off on their books when it gets really cooked. But... He's a billionaire. Uh, by late 2009, he, is, he has his Vegas birthday party with DiCaprio and other celebrities. Uh, he's going around France. In one, at one club in France, he spends 2 million euros on champagne. And this was entirely to outdo another billionaire who was there spending like <laughs> only a million dollars on champagne. Oh my God. <laughs> I think they, they said in the book that they, it wouldn't be possible for the people there to drink that much champagne if they just drank like, consecutively for a month. <laughs> he's like individually responsible for the CPI of, of EU increasing like 0.2. I feel like Crystal has like a very understated role in financial crises. <laughs> uh, if you want to fight inflation, just <laughs> learn more about J- uh, about J Lo. <laughs> Uh, just quoting from the book, days after that two million uh, uh, euro champagne party, days later, uh, him and Paris Hilton were in another club in Europe with yet another bottle parade. As the champagne came out with sparklers attached, the theme music from Rocky and Star Wars was blaring. Lowe took control, handed a microphone. He directed waiters to ensure everyone in the club got a bottle. Saudi Arabia in the house, he yelled <laughs> as Paris Hilton danced and embraced him from behind. <laughs> she was so drunk that other party goers had to support <laughs> yeah apparently at other parties too he would yell malaysia in the house he it was like between that and not and just watching people party and not talking to anyone so he doesn't have actual conversations yeah <laughs> except about uh the wolf of wall street yeah <laughs> saudi arabia in the house is also the last thing heard by thousands of yemeni farmers <laughs> 
They just blare it from their F-16s. Yeah, like Ride of the Valkyries. Yeah. <laughs> they just got the Joe Lowe drop. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So, again, according to the book, between October 2009 and June 2010, a period of only eight month, months, Lowe and his entourage spent $85 million on alcohol, gambling in Vegas, private gents, renting super yachts, and to pay playmates and Hollywood celebrities to hang out with them. <laughs> and, you know, he buys like, uh, um, he sets himself up at uh, 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 230 West 56th Street, New York. Uh, it's like a $38,000 a month apartment. He also starts buying a bunch of properties for the uh, the prime minister. He, he passes them to the prime minister's son, uh, uh, Aziz, who we'll get back to in a second. He runs up a $160,000 bar bill at a avenue a club in uh, chelsea uh he sends three bottles he sent 23 bottles of cristal to actress Lindsay lohan's table <laughs> single-handedly causing her to relapse um <laughs> uh, but yeah so uh and of course he you know he attends paris hilton's 29th birthday in uh, 2010 where the aforementioned gifts from the malaysian taxpayers are given <laughs> and so also what is the gdp of jlo at this point uh and so also in this period you know leonardo dicaprio owns the rights to the wolf of wall street based on the book by jordan belfort but the studio is like hesitant to fund it so uh leo is like also interested in getting um jolo to fund the the thing entirely and let them avoid the studio process which would uh, eventually happen but uh so essentially after 2010, they have another huge capital raise, which is, again, we, we said about $5 billion would be the total amount <laughs> diverted uh, to Joe Lowe. And this is like where Goldman Sachs comes in. There's a Goldman Sachs banker named uh, Tim Leisner, who's uh, since pleaded guilty to federal money laundering charges just this month, November 2018. Um, and he's also alleged that... Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't you know other people at Goldman Sachs were aware of his criminal <laughs> dealings and, uh, you know, there's a culture of corruption at Goldman Sachs and all these other things that would just be hugely shocking to any American familiar with Goldman Sachs. <laughs> but so yeah, part of the reason we picked him is because like right now all over the business papers, mm-hmm. they're like new Goldman Sachs person convicted in one MDB scandal. Mm hmm. It was like very surprising for the editors like Goldman Sachs person convicted. I don't know if we can write this. Are you sure about this? So like he's paying like two million dollars like what's <laughs> but so Tim Leisner and another thing about like Tim Leisner is so he's an investment banker in Asia for Goldman Sachs and you know you hear like banker and you probably think they do like math or, or these kinds of things but investment banking is all about relationships essentially it's just glad handing yeah, yeah. being a relationship banker yeah he's a relationship creating value yes for, uh, for the economy glad handing corrupt despots and in Tim Leisner's case he basically just fucked half of Malaysia <laughs> in order to get this deal done like so uh, again quoting from the book in 2010 he organized the 25 year old daughter of Malaysia's ambassador to the United States to undertake a short internship at Goldman Sachs in Singapore and also started an affair with her uh, and apparently he was like hooking up with some other I think daughter of a powerful Malaysian person uh, and, and so the internship was risky because that's like technically a bribe, which again is illegal under the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. 
uh, and I believe he pled guilty to Foreign Corrupt Practice Act violations as well. But so he, he sets up, you know, these influential Malaysians with, you know, internships with Goldman and all these other connections. And he, he becomes close to Joe Lowe at this time. And the entire reason that he's doing this, oh, and it should be noted, Tim Leisner is one of 100. He's made partner at Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs has at this time in 2006 that he's made partner. Goldman Sachs has 115 partners. So, you know, that's like 30,000 some employees, only 115 partners. So he is one of the most most senior people at Goldman Sachs. And so the entire reason that he's buttering up the Malaysian government. Also, apparently he would keep like breaking Goldman Sachs internal rules and potentially the law and would just get slaps on the wrist because he was like bringing in so much money for them. Mr. Culture. (laughs) It's like one of those uh, uh, movies about like a detective who always breaks the rules, but gets the job done. (laughs) But it's just about like bribery. Yeah. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. Those people's monies belongs to us, chief. <laughs> you're a loose cannon, you're but you're damn it, you nation. get us the Malaysian peasant money. Give me your Davos badge mm-hmm. and your secret key for the orgies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, yes, what happens is he's buttering up Joe Lowe and the Malaysian state employees because they want to do a capital raise for 1MDB. And according to Reuters, what eventually happens is Goldman uh, raises $6.5 billion in three bond sales for 1MDB between 2012 and 2013. Yeah. Uh, again, $6.5 billion, the majority of which would be funneled into Joe Lowe's private <laughs> accounts overseas. Uh, and Goldman Sachs has paid $600 million for its advisory on this, yeah. which is apparently like vastly more than typical industry fees yeah. like industry fees are usually 0.2 percent all you pay the way for quality yeah 10 <laughs> percent so. yeah it was like 10 percent is what they were paid which is again like uh usually 0.2 percent all the way up to a max of two percent is what's typically paid but it's entirely to go to kickbacks <laughs> and uh, the fact that they are very aware at this point that um, there's a lot of skimming going on, which, again, is illegal for Goldman Sachs under the, the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. You can't be a U.S. company and engage in bribery. It's which illegal. Which is why they need $600 million in order to cover the $60, $60 million fine yes. that they're already <laughs> assuming they'll get. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> like, Well, we do need to cover our slap on the wrist costs. Yeah. Yes, and another thing that just came out this month that uh, was not actually in the book is that uh, uh, outgoing Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein, who of course lied to Congress about the financial crisis uh, <laughs> and sold, you know, uh, toxic, uh, fraudulent mortgage-backed securities, among other things, uh, he met with Joe Lowe personally at least three times: 2009, 2012, 2013. Uh, Goldman Sachs, for their part, have admitted the 2009 and 2012 meeting, but uh, they are denying the 2013 meeting. Uh, and that's according to U.S. prosecutors. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I mean, like just based on uh, uh, the history of U.S. financial prosecution, I don't expect this to go too far up the chain. But uh, for his part, Tim Leisner is alleging that like other senior people at Goldman Sachs were aware this deal had to go through like five compliance committees. Gary Cohn was the uh, president of Goldman Sachs at the time, later went on to be an advisor to Trump for about a year. Uh, and he kind of like protected this thing <laughs> where, you know, these compliance committees would say like, 
this is ridiculous. There's, you know, fraud going on here. These assets are not worth that much. Why are we taking such a huge fee? All these other questions. And Gary Cohn would be like, no, 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 no. Let's just. <laughs> so he just kind of shepherded this through. And uh, it'd be wonderful if, you know, him or uh, Lloyd Blankfein faced some sort of criminal accountability for uh, <laughs> the large criminal organization they run known as Goldman Sachs. Um, but uh, just one other thing I found from here was uh, basically Lloyd Blankfein, uh, he was like really excited about what they did there. As we mentioned, he met with Joe Lowe three times and uh, the book quotes him as saying, look at what Tim, the, the banker, Tim Leisner, and Andrea was the guy who did the math for it. Uh, those were the two bankers at Goldman who ran this deal. Uh, look at what Tim and Andrea did in Malaysia. Blankfein told a meeting in New York on how to build business and growth growth markets rather than the increasingly heavy, heavily regulated U.S. We have to do more of that. <laughs> so Blankfein himself would like Goldman Sachs to do more fraud. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like, uh, it, it's just something where uh, we'll see how this shakes out at Goldman if if it goes up the chain at all. Uh, you know, based on past experiences, I expect it'll just be a fine and move on. But Goldman Sachs is down, I think uh, the stock's down like 14% on the month because people are thinking, you know, the U.S. government will maybe do something about this. Again, based on the history, we don't expect it to. Yeah. But well, the, uh, the I, I'd, say, I'd say it's time to buy then. The, the new, well, maybe. <laughs> the news about Lloyd Blankfein is like very recent. Like, a lot of it is not covered in the book. Mm. Yeah. Right, right. Like, a lot of... Um, it hit the business press in, like, August, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Damn. Yeah. Okay, so the... Um, the the bribes. Right. Uh, so, the way he, he would bribe the uh, uh, Malaysian prime minister is he would buy all these properties uh, through Shell LLCs in um, places like, you know, Manhattan, but also in uh paris or england uh the paris one i think was near the prime minister's wife's favorite shopping area mm -hmm. and then he would just sell it to them for cheap and also just lavish them with gifts and so like you've got these public servants who are just like they would go on uh foreign trips and uh, there was one instance where the prime minister's wife had to order the staff to get her a bigger van so that she could fit everything that she'd bought on her shopping trip while they were getting into their private jet. And it, I think people started asking questions <laughs> after that one. So before we get to the repercussions for the government, I do just want to mention Red Granite Productions and also EMI Music Company. Uh, there was a music company. So basically, Joe Lowe sets up this film company, which is what they do Wolf of Wall Street with. They do the movie Friends with Kids, Wolf of Wall Street, Dumb and Dumber 2, which Hell yeah, actually not bad. I know it got trashed in the reviews, but I laughed. You know, I watched it before like three days ago. Uh, they, did, <laughs> they did the movie Daddy's Home. <laughs> And I do just like that all of those movies were unknowingly public projects of the nation of Malaysia. <laughs> uh, but so they put, um, uh, Joe Lowe puts the uh, uh, aforementioned um, uh, son of the first lady of Malaysia in charge of this production company. Uh, he also puts all these properties in his name. So it's kind of his way to kick back to the, the ruling family of uh, Malaysia. And then another interesting anecdote. Um, so 
he he meets Swiss Beats. Joe Lowe does through again all his celebrity connections. Uh, he sets up a, a music production company. He takes a stake in EMI, and then uh, as part of the production deal, Swiss Beats rapper Little John and Joe Lowe recorded a song entitled "V" at a studio in the Palms Casino Resort in Las Vegas, a kind of party anthem. Lowe's contribution was to repeat the words "very hot" over and over again in the <laughs> background. And if we can find that recording, we'll work it into this. But apparently it is uh, buried in the archives. Yeah. Someone please find it. Yeah. Please, please find it and send it to us. But so, and then like just one other thing before we kind of get to the fallout of this, what I thought was fascinating is like, you know, maybe uh, you have what Edward Said called the uh, Orientalist mindset, where you think this just happens in Malaysia because it's backwards, corrupt, Eastern, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so the other part is Joe Lowe is able to use his money to set up meetings with Obama <laughs> because Joe Lowe meets a guy named Frank White, who is a super bundler for Obama in the 2012 campaign. And again, this is the problem with money in elections. Frank White raises like $10 million for Obama through, you know, network of donors, these kinds of things. And because he has this connection, he's able to get people meetings with Barack Obama. So uh, Lowe uh, uh, sends like, through yes, he sent twenty million dollars through an offshore company that would eventually wash up into super PAC supporting Obama <laughs> in, in twenty twelve. He sends another ten million directly to Frank White's company, and so in exchange for like this massive infu- infusion of cash, uh, Joe Lowe is able to yes. Uh, Joe Lowe attends the president's holiday party after the 2012 election, uh, and uh, he's also able to Frank White sets up a meeting between Obama and uh, the then Prime Minister Nijab. Uh, and so, like, ew, and also the other part of it is DiCaprio and Scorsese visit the White House to hand over a DVD copy of The Wolf of Wall Street to Obama, <laughs> and this was also arranged through his connection with Frank White, the financier. <laughs> and so it's just interesting where like Frank White himself is like stealing tens of millions of dollars or receiving tens of millions in stolen money from Malaysia, and then because he's like a big bundler for Obama, he's able to make these introductions, and uh, ultimately... Uh, Lo wasn't really able to make much money off of his Obama introduction, but it does like cement his relationship with the PM because he's the conduit through which the PM talks to Barack Obama. <laughs> so like when the PM arrived, Obama would be like, I would like to be perfectly clear. Malaysia is in the house. <laughs> oh, and then one other thing. In Very two, hot. In, yeah. in, in, Very 2000, hot. in 2014, Obama visits Malaysia. Just days before Obama arrived, 1MDB signed a multi-million dollar deal with Frank White's company, Dusable Capital, to develop a solar electricity plant in Malaysia. Only months later, the solar deal was scrapped, and 1MDB eventually paid $69 million to buy out Dusable's shares in the joint venture. So this is like at least $79 million directly to this guy from Malaysian taxpayers. <laughs> and that's how you get a meeting with Barack Obama. Um, but yeah, so I guess we could just kind of talk about the, the fallout because uh, eventually, as we mentioned, KPMG leaves. They have to find another. Um, <clears throat> it, it's yeah. interesting where it's like it's not really like the Bernie Madoff scheme where he, had, he spent you know decades just constantly finding new investors. Whereas Joe Lowe was constantly trying to get new capital raises because it's like it's interesting where he probably could have kept this going a lot longer if he just 
craft it much less of the money. But yeah. because so much of it went into his own personal accounts, he constantly had holes that he had to fill. So he was constantly trying to do capital raises. Like after the uh, Goldman Sachs money raise in 2012, 2013, they're like trying to go to Deutsche Bank and some other people. Uh, Deutsche Bank sends them like, I think a $500 million loan. And then like, uh, uh, which was like conditional on them, like sending financial statements and stuff. It's like, hey, and- maybe Malaysia for once should be in the apartment. <laughs> It was conditional on them like sending financial statements and then one MDB's board is just like, no, we're not going to send any financial <laughs> statements because Deutsche Bank wanted to do the next capital raise. But so it's like, you know, by 2014, uh, the books are just falling apart. You know, they're completely on fire. And what eventually happens is a Petro a Petro Saudi, um, uh, a former employee of Petro Saudi, uh, steals the hard drives from Petro Saudi or, or steals like the, uh, the data, the internal servers, excuse me. And he puts it on a hard drive and then he's trying to sell it to somebody for like two million. Eventually, a uh, wealthy... Um, journalist within Malaysia agrees to buy the contents of the, of the hard drive and this is splashed across the internet in 2015 yep. New York Times Wall Street Journal start reporting on it so 2015 the story breaks now before this didn't he try to like patch up the books with an IPO yes they were like they had a couple different ideas where they wanted to launch an IPO of um, uh, one MDB's um, uh, oil assets and some other assets they also wanted to do another capital raise and again they were like that's how they got Deutsche Bank to extend them more money and keep this going because Deutsche Bank wanted the fees that Goldman was getting well, you know so they, they <laughs> good the, on them so for the suckering idea would be like to put out some stocks have a bunch of people buy it invest that money into the debts and then later it's like revealed that the company's insolvent and all the stocks are worthless right well like it, it's interesting where the book kind of speculates if joe Lowe knew this would collapse or if he just thought he would eventually like be able to fill like i think a 2.7 billion dollar hole because <laughs> he like he did actually make like 300 million on the wolf of wall street he made some money on his emi stake he was like involved in a luxury development in manhattan that he actually sold his stake in for a healthy profit so it's like he was making money at a few different places but it was just like again stealing five billion dollars it's just <laughs> you can't really make up that shortfall um <laughs> And eventually, in 2015, this comes to light, and the prime minister at the time, uh, his response is to do a massive crackdown uh, using uh, colonial-era sedition laws to arrest opposition figures. Uh, (laughs) He fires basically every prosecutor looking into this, such as Malaysia's attorney general at the time, was like was going to indict the prime minister and then he was fired and locked out of his office. All of his documents were taken. And then one prosecutor was murdered. He was like on his way to the office. He was run off the road, kidnapped, uh, later strangled and left, uh, his body like cemented in a barrel that was thrown somewhere. Um, like some some minor patsies went to jail for this, but it's alleged that the prime minister was involved. Who fucking knows? But maybe this will come out in the upcoming uh, uh, investigations. I wonder if there's like some kind of culturally specific Malaysian symbolism to being in concrete in a barrel that just doesn't translate. Uh, it's like, oh, you're going to barrel us? Well, it's like, that doesn't make sense. If, if you speak Malaysian, it's actually kind of a, <laughs> it's a huge family insult. Yeah. 
But, uh, uh, oh, and then, like, so 2015, the prime minister of Malaysia tells Jolo, don't come back to Malaysia. So Jolo has, at this point, a giant yacht, which has <laughs> since been seized by Malaysian authorities, costing Malaysian uh, uh, pu- the public more money because they have to pay hundreds of thousands in maintenance <laughs> fees on this giant lot that they're tra- yacht that they're trying to sell. But so uh, uh, Jolo starts hanging out in his yacht uh, in uh, Bangkok and Shanghai, China. Um, but so the prime minister tells him, don't come back to Malaysia, but the prime minister is still in charge. He's like cracking down on dissent. Um, and like eating and abetting a fugitive. (laughs) So basically, um, Jolo at this point in 2015, he'd actually bought a ton of art. That was the other thing. And this was actually a smart investment for a fugitive because when the FBI starts looking into this in 2015, he starts selling off all his art. And this gives him like, as we've kind of mentioned on our previous episode, art auctions, they don't check the buyer. There's very little transparency. So it's a great way if you're like a fugitive and you need hundreds (laughs) of millions of dollars. So he sells off much of his art collection and he's able to like we don't know how much money he still has squirreled away but it's very possible he's still a billionaire just through his foreign accounts and what hasn't been you know frozen um but in uh, 2016 the u.s government freezes about one billion dollars worth of assets including future profits from the wolf of wall street the u.s government <laughs> wants the, the cut of that very sad um but yes so uh the u.s government in 2016 says the jig is up they freeze all these assets um, initially the prime minister is able to like meet with Trump and talk about trade and stuff. And like, <laughs> there's speculation that maybe he'll be able to set things right, but he loses an election. Yeah. So they held a general election in 2018 that was pretty much like in light of one MDB. <laughs> and, uh, there's a, coal- a political coalition coalition was formed in May of that year, just before the elections. It's like specifically to oust uh, <laughs> Najib Razak and they did so and they did so in like really really spectacular fashion so it, like this coalition had only been around for a few months of a couple different parties like the opposition parties um, ended up garnering 48% of the vote and yeah they uh, they got a majority formed a government and they're uh, one of the old PMs uh Mahad, Mahadir Mohammed, who's 92 years old, had to come out of retirement, basically. Uh, he was former prime minister, very popular. And he was in, he used to be in uh, Najib's party. And he used to be one of Najib's oh. like biggest supporters and back the, in the day. Najib's party was like also the predominant party in Malaysia yeah. for the entirety of its yeah. Hosted Bar- on his yacht. Yeah. Bar- <laughs> Barisan National was Najib's party. And Pakistan Harapan, the prominent party in Malaysia, with two million euros worth of champagne bottles. <laughs> yeah, that's how they measure it. <laughs> and uh, well, anyway, the coalition called Pakatan Harapan, which is only like four months old, ousted this party that had been in control for decades. <laughs> and um, the plan right now with him, with Mahir, Mahadir Mohammed, the prime minister right now, is that he's going? He was kind of just there to galvanize to support against surviving an iron lung. <laughs> again, yeah. Number one is like live long enough <laughs> yeah. for this to co- for this to complete. The iron but he was kind of just like Ginsburg. He was just trying to be like a caretaker prime minister until the leader of the like the main opposition party within the coalition can take the reins mm. and hopefully get hopefully they do plan to indict Najib and have like a criminal trial for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know he's been like charged. I think. 
um Najib yeah. has yeah yeah and I, I think like as the writing of the book the first lady had not been charged but it's expected that she will be as well oh. um but yes, yeah, so as soon as uh, the prime minister loses, uh, Joe Lowe falls off the map. Uh, he likely has hundreds of millions of dollars in secrets. <laughs> in fact, uh, we uh, literally like the day that we were recording this episode, um, we found out that Joe Lowe's name was largely scrubbed from the final audit report of of one MDB. <laughs> He's making a comeback. Yeah, I mean, he might be back. Uh, Joe might be back in business, but uh, he's still a fugitive, though. Yeah, Dumb and that. Dumber 3. <laughs> we mentioned the uh, U.S. government seizing assets. Uh, another part of that is that um, the, the, the U.S. government has demanded that Leonardo DiCaprio give back $13 million in art that Joe Lowe gave him. Uh, <laughs> he voluntarily gave that back. And interestingly enough, Joe Lowe was, for a time, uh, dating Australian supermodel um, uh, Miranda Keir. Um, he gave her $8 million worth of jewelry, which the U.S. government also seized. <laughs> Both DiCaprio and Miranda gave them back voluntarily. But random fact about Miranda Keir, uh, she uh, has since married the billionaire Snapchat founder. So uh, we will return to her on a future episode. Yeah, man, she's going to be like the queen of getting your assets repossessed. <laughs> Repossessing is the hardest part of our job. She's really good at marrying into crumbling multi-billion dollar enterprises. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's... So now Joe Lowe uh, walks the land in solitude. Uh, I think crystallizing his place as a folk hero. Uh, Stephen and I were talking about this before the episode, that like you, you can like write a song about him like, old Joe Lowe... Where did you go? <laughs> Stealing from the poor, given to casinos. Where are the pensions the teachers want to know? <laughs> go on your way, old Joe Lowe. Yeah. The, uh, the book closes with Joe Lowe, the Wall Street Journal reporters, trying to figure out where this massive party Joe Lowe is throwing is going to be, <laughs> because this is when he still had his yacht, and he had to keep a low profile, but he was just like so addicted to the party lifestyle that uh, he actually got Nelly, I believe, to come out and some other celebrities. Well, he's a fugitive for justice, <laughs> you know, and take like $100,000 to perform for an hour at his party. Wait, he really did that? Yeah. As a fugitive, yeah. he got Nelly to come out? Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I don't think he'd been indicted at that time, but he had been like revealed in press accounts. And uh, at this point, the U.S. government was like holding its fire. They kind of waited till he got sloppy and then docked his yacht somewhere. And then the U.S. government seized it. Uh, so they like didn't give him warning that he was going to have yeah. his assets seized, but they were trying to like lure him into complacency. But during this period, Nelly comes out for a party, and uh, then since then you he's can you can tell how far he's falling because like he can only afford second rate aughts celebrities. I mean, I guess at his peak, he was only really buying into second rate aughts celebrities. But they're not going to be able to take him alive because Joe Lowe knows what happened to people on that Malaysia airline flight. Yeah, <laughs> he knows what happened. What did he know? <laughs> The, the mysterious airline full of people who have insider knowledge of the Clinton Foundation in Haiti. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Oddly it, disappearing. Their inability, the inability of the Malaysian government uh, to find it immediately after it disappeared didn't have to do with the fact that all of its money was being pilfered into uh, Baccarat tables in <laughs> Las Vegas. It's because they knew the truth. 
But Jolo, we hope you're somewhere out there listening. We hope the crystal is flowing. We hope you're not too lonely. Um, we hope that uh, you're not making small talk with women <laughs> because that's difficult for you. And we hope uh, Paris is still responding to your texts. And uh, you know what? If you want to Skype in anytime, we'll disguise your location. Yeah. <laughs> This podcast has a firm no snitching policy that yeah. we will not break for anyone. So you are welcome to come. And, you know, Leo, you're in New York. You want to come on, too? Let's talk yeah. Wolf of Wall Street sequel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, any closing thoughts on Joe Lowe? King. <laughs> the only good billionaire. He did it the right way, people. Yeah. You don't, don't pretend that you're creating value with your shitty Snapchat <laughs> scam. Yeah. Pour champagne on celebrities. Well, with that, I think we're all going to sit down and enjoy a fine film called House of Wax starring Paris Hilton. (laughs) I got it all ready to fire up. Spend two million euro on champagne. (laughs) The only way to truly appreciate the film (laughs) is after you have spent two million euro on champagne, after Swiss Beats has closed out his... One hour long set at your birthday party. Alicia Keys, Swiss Beats, only people to attend Jolo, only major celebrities to attend Jolo's 34th birthday party. <laughs> Leo and all the other fake friends had abandoned him. But you know what? This episode. Friend, friendship ended with Leo. <laughs> this episode is dedicated to Swiss Beats and Alicia Keys because that's day one. You know, it's easy to stick by a Malaysian guy stealing from a pension fund. When Don't believe Leo when he says he'll never let go. <laughs> But you know what? It takes it takes some real. You have to be valuing more than money when you stick by somebody in their darkest hour. And we hope uh, Joe Lowe uh, has a speedy return to grace uh, <laughs> <laughs> and is successful corrupting a new government. Come back, Joe. Yeah, say it ain't so. You know, apparently he's been able to get in with like uh, some Chinese sovereign wealth funds. Hell yeah! <laughs> you know the man. Capitalism allocates resources <laughs> efficiently. He is good People at who influence- know how to hustle. Influencing sovereign wealth funds is a skill, and it's bankable. <laughs> All right, but uh, we've hope you've had a, as as much fun as we have uh, learning about Joe Lowe, and we'll be back next week with another billionaire. Toodles. All right. Good night.